Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and sometimes, accidentally, in spite of myself, something funny or interesting happens. This is Previously Live. Hello, hello? Hello. Hey there, you sound great. Thank you, I feel great. I'm happy to hear that. Hold on, hold on. Let me get your uh, let me get your cam up. One second. If do, this is gonna take me a hot second. Uh, while I'm no doing worries. that, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Uh, so for those of you who know me, I'm Mike Vick, the dog fight ring guy. No, uh, no. they're gonna they're gonna take. They don't know irony. You have to help them. Help them to the truth. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I commented earlier that I'd never heard that joke before, so I really appreciate somebody bringing it up. Um, yeah, I've heard every version of that joke. Uh, I guess I always tell folks that, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of football, don't play it very well, and I love dogs. Uh, so I have uh, several photos of myself uh, loving, uh, loving the petting dogs uh, from when I was a, a little baby on up to very recently. So uh, they're locked and loaded anytime someone brings up that joke. So uh, it actually hasn't happened as much as I thought it would. But yes, my name is Mike Vick. Uh, no, not that Mike Vick. Uh, I am running for state rep in Indiana's 29th district, uh, which uh, comprises uh, most of Noblesville, Indiana, uh, which is northeast of uh, Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, parts of Fishers, uh, the little part of Fishers, Indiana, that was uh, put into this district, I think was gerrymandered in because it's mostly Democratic. Uh, and a lot of the rest of it, uh, at least as far as uh, past elections, has been Republican. Uh, and then there are some rural areas that are northeast of Noblesville, Indiana, that are included in the district as well. Gotcha. So uh, at the moment, the uh, candidate who is um, uh, the incumbent has only been in uh, there for uh, one term. His name is Chuck Goodrich. Uh, he's a rather wealthy man. Uh, I am not. I'm a working class guy. Um, and up to this point, uh, had never run for office, uh, but I have done a lot of professional political work. I worked for uh, the Indiana Democratic Party uh, in 2018. Uh, right now, I am the field canvas director for Citizens Action Coalition, uh, which is a uh, nonpartisan, not-for-profit uh, advocacy, consumer advocacy group. It's the largest uh, such group in the state of Indiana. Uh, we focus primarily on utility policy and energy policy. Always like to make sure folks know that uh, just like the, the tweets that say um, my employer's uh, views are not necessarily my own, uh, they are nonpartisan. Uh, I deeply respect that. Uh, we had a long conversation before I ran for office uh, wherein uh, you know I, I sort of tried to lay out boundaries there that uh, you know, I would make sure that uh, nobody thought that I was running as CAC's candidate. Uh, but in any event, uh, that's what I do right now. Obviously, we don't have a field canvas right now because of COVID. Uh, so I've been uh, making calls from home uh, for them. Uh, but uh, we, again, primarily focus on utility policy, uh, making sure folks don't get gouged by their electric companies. Uh, which happens quite a bit. Uh, we have stopped $4 billion in unnecessary um, rate hikes in the 40 years that CEC has been around. Uh, we continue to do that work. We're uh, also um, focused on uh, making sure that folks 
uh, are moving toward 100% green renewable energy uh, in the state, uh, which is certainly something that uh, I am uh, very much uh, keen on doing uh, myself. So uh, before that, I worked for Greenpeace. Uh, before that, I worked for Working America, which is AFL-CIO community affiliate. And before that, I worked for SEIU, uh, twice actually for SEIU. I did uh, work uh, trying to get home care and child care workers organized in the union. Uh, and I also worked here in Indiana uh, trying to boost turnout for uh, the Democratic gubernatorial candidate in 2016, John Gregg. Uh, and then before that, for 10 years, I was a journalist. I would say that um, with all of that together, you've probably made up for the dog thing, honestly. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, I've, I've been trying. Uh, it, it sounds it, like it, you've been compensating hard. for. The I have. You know, I, uh, it, it wasn't a big deal until, you know, I was in high school and uh, he was a, a, you know, a famous football player. And then he became, went from uh, famous to infamous. Uh, and now, you know, I get people that don't know where they know my name from, who don't really follow sports, but they know my name from somewhere. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I always get some version of the joke. I've heard pretty much every version of it. Uh, up until recently, I, I had a, a really new version of the joke that I thought was, was actually kind of funny. Uh, I had posted uh, pro-Socialist uh, Rifle Association uh, post on Twitter and someone asked if I was even allowed to own a gun because of the dogfighting thing. So uh, that was a, that was a new a new version. I've I never am, heard that. One. No, I can understand. I know. I because I knew a person whose birthday was nine eleven. Um, and That's uh, horrible. Yeah. right, I remember. I remember very distinctly on um on on uh, uh September eleventh two thousand and two. Uh, 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 I would have been in like second grade or something like that. I just, I remember their, their very marked disappointment, just generally speaking at how the, the tone of their birthday had turned. Um, yeah, well that's, I mean, altogether, that's a, a, a pretty phenomenal, um, uh, resume for politics, I would say. Um, what initially got you interested in, uh, doing on the ground work like that? I know that you have a bachelor's in political science, but where did you... Because a lot of people who get into political science, they like it in a very abstract way, you know, uh, sort of in a distanced perspective. But you've been you've been very hands on. What got you into that? Well, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been preparing for it my whole life. Uh, my dad was a union iron worker uh, and a rabble rousing one at that. He, you know, participated in strikes and and union votes and all of that. Uh, so uh, when I was growing up uh, in, in our county. Uh, he was the the county uh, Democratic Party chair. Uh, he kind of came uh, into that uh, um, in a crashing the party kind of a way. Uh, the the party uh, where where we were actually, I, I was born in California. I, I grew up in uh, in very far northern uh, end of uh, California in a place called Del Norte County, uh, which is mostly redwoods. There, you know, my dad used to say it was behind the redwood curtain. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, there, there's a lot of very conservative Democrats up there, uh, much more so than in other parts of California. And he was, you know, we were coming from the, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, and uh, he was not interested in towing the, the conservative Democratic Party line uh, there. And so he got a bunch of his friends together and went and took over the party. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, for a time there, he was the chair uh, of the party uh, in the county. And then later, 
became uh, the chair of the, the district uh, for the state party. Uh, and so he, I mean, he ran congressional races uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, when I was a little kid, we had Congress people staying at our house. Uh, so, you know, it, it was always a thing where you would talk about politics. I, I was a student delegate in 1996 to the California Democratic uh, Party convention. Uh, and we were, my sister and I were in the cheap seats. Uh, it was a lot easier to see Bill Clinton, who was there uh, at the time and actually stayed in the hotel that we stayed at. A lot easier to see him on the jumbotron than actually see him in real life. But but we were there. Um, and so, you know, I, I just always remember uh, politics being a big part uh, of my life. Uh, and, you know, people often, uh, the, the saying goes that you don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table. And my thought was always, what am I supposed to talk about? Those are the only two things that I, I, I really care a True. lot about. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, I grew up pretty politically, not involved, but pretty, I guess, engaged or at least aware because uh, my family is fairly left-leaning and fairly active in expressing that. But with regards to the, um, uh, with regards to your upbringing, how do you feel then, I guess I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm interested in your thoughts on it. How do you feel then about the absolute death of, of unions in this country? Uh, well, I'm obviously deeply concerned about it. Um, and I, I think that the material conditions on the ground are sort of creating a resurgence of, of unions and union talk, people talking even about a general strike uh, right now, which I, I think is a good thing. I, I think there's a lot of people that don't really understand how to make one of those happen and, uh, you know, are, have been clued in by union folks that, hey, you need to start talking to us um, because we know how to make this happen. Um, and, you know, so wildcat strikes uh, are on uh, the rise, uh, teachers uh, being pushed to the brink. So I, I think that there's a movement in that front. But the reality is, um, the, the Democratic Party had a big role in helping to kill unions. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, it was done um, in part because, uh, you know, at least in, in the, the, the 60s um, and, and 70s, there, there were a lot of unions that weren't super keen on the idea of let's not go to Vietnam, you know, um, and uh, a lot of union leadership, uh, particularly, uh, were pro-Vietnam War, and so uh, you know the the party was uh, was not um, was moving away from uh, being uh, in favor of that war, even though they initially were very much in favor of it. Uh, and so uh, part of pushing uh, unions um, out of the decision-making process in that particular instance was just pushing them out of the process of. of nominating the Democratic Party candidates and pushing them out uh, other than, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, um, lip service that's paid to union issues um, in the Democratic Party still to this day, um, being in favor of things like card check or what have you, not really doing anything about it, though. Uh, but it goes back even further than that uh, of, you know, pushing uh, socialists uh, out of uh, the, the the leadership positions. So consequently, you're going to end up with less 
uh, militant unions. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if, if you've got uh, unions being sort of siloed into their different uh, industrial areas versus the old uh, solidarity uh, between unions and the solidarity that unions would have with workers that weren't union workers, um, you know, the, the, this thing, uh, it, you know, particularly uh, since Medicare for All has been uh, pushed uh, so much is, uh, you know, trying to pit unions against uh, non-union workers who want medical care. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the ways that we can sort of circumvent this uh, is by going in a, in a more radical direction with organizing, which is to have the union run a shop. Uh, and that's essentially the... Um, the workplace democracy, uh, worker-owned uh, co-op, uh, cooperative enterprise model. Um, so you don't have the the union, uh, you know, boss dichotomy, uh, you know, fighting against each other thing. You have unions actually right. participating you, you resolve in the, the contradiction. Yeah, exactly. The, that's a, what a lot of people don't talk about as well. Uh, even so, the unions, um, the for the unions that remain in this country. The majority of them are um, are public sector uh, as well, which means invariably that at least for those people, and we don't we don't talk about this, is the weakness of the existing unions and how they've become this dry, uh, uh, cut by numbers uh, sort of uh, a contractual obligation to ensure that hey, if you want to work as a grocery bagger, you have to do this, and you you get a dollar twenty five higher than minimum wage, and the union boss is essentially just a second boss who is slightly more amicable to you and has a, a different set of contractual obligations to you. But the actual inter-union uh, connectivity, the uh, revolutionary or at least radical elements of that, uh, of that part of the dual power structure are just fucking gone. Uh, they yeah. just, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just, they don't, they're not around anymore. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why um, I think that lefties need to be significantly more concerned with electoral politics, at least to the extent that we can get unions uh, 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 back afloat, uh, that, whether it be repealing Taft-Hartley or just any number of other legislations that we could possibly implement. That is like a necessary prerequisite for us even being able to engage in direct action, it seems, because there's no longer a way for the average Joe to come into contact with, for their own benefit, a socialist or a person at least repping socialist values. Right. Well, you know, I, I think that this is one of the ways in which uh, we really need to be focused not just on electoral politics, but on union politics, um, uh, you know, uh, organizing uh, more so, uh, uh, you know, unions actually resurgent um, and making sure that we're doing that. You know, my dad used to push back a little on the, on the idea of the union boss because he called himself a union boss. I mean, he like the idea of the union is that you as a worker are the boss, that you as the worker are voting uh, for uh, your, your leadership and that, you know, theoretically at least, um, you can, uh, you know, remove that leadership by democratic vote. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's not how real world unions actually work all the time, but it's how they ought to work and it's, it's how we should be structuring unions uh, in a more radically egalitarian, radically socialist way. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm particularly hardened uh, by the resurgence of uh, unions like the IWW, 
um, which is, you know, certainly uh, in that vein. Right. They've seen a um, pretty big resurgence over the past five years, right? Yeah. And, and again, this is a, a you know, the, the concept of the one big union uh, of having, uh, you know, organizing all the workers into one union. Uh, and then, you know, you, you organize everyone into a union and then you call a general strike because you're all part of the same union. Uh, and so any strike becomes a general strike. Uh, and, you know, we know from history that if you can organize a general strike, you can get pretty much anything you want. Uh, because that's that you know you're hitting uh, the the capitalist class right in their pocketbook, uh, and the longer a general strike lasts, the the, the more pressure uh, builds uh, on the capitalist class to capitulate to whatever the demands are of that general strike. Mm -hmm. So you know I, I'm I'm four square behind uh, you know general strike, um, and you know again this is one of the ways in which I don't think. You know, obviously, as someone who's running for office, I don't think we should ever abandon electoral politics. I think that's a stupid idea. Um, you know, I, I, I understand the reasoning behind folks who push back on electoral politics, but, but you know, I would just point out that, you know, they there there was a, a socialist movement in uh, in another country uh, that actually had a real revolution, um, the the Bolsheviks, and whatever you think about the Bolsheviks, they ran people in elections mm -hmm. and yep. they got their ideas out there in that way. So it, you don't even really have to win the election per se. Obviously it's great if you're, if you're able to, it's not, um, it's win. nice. It's a nice bonus. Yeah, of course, of course. But the, spreading the ideas alone, uh, you know, uh, the, the ability to spread the ideas is granted to you by running for office. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that that's that's an important thing in and of itself. And organizing works doesn't always happen right away. Uh, doesn't always work right away in that that first cycle. Uh, you know, there's example after example of uh, you know folks. For example, Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, ran multiple times uh, before he won by ten votes uh, for Burlington mayor, um, and you know, didn't win his first time running for Congress either. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important for, for folks to remember that the organizing part that you can do in an election uh, by virtue of being a candidate is a good thing. Uh, but there are, you know, there, there is a, a truth to the idea that, um, as Zen says, voting is, uh, you know, marginally useful, but it's no replacement for democracy, uh, which requires that direct action. Uh, by you know informed citizens, so of course, yeah. one of those direct actions is a strike, uh, and I think it's it's an incredibly powerful uh, you know quiver in our in our arsenal. Well, yeah, one of our I mean that's one of our big issues right now is that our quiver has been getting lighter and lighter with time as well because with the general strike, and I think right now people are speaking of a general strike. I'll admit I'm a little bit pessimistic on the um, on the prospect with how uh, 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 poor the union situation is in this country. I don't know how well. Uh, such a thing would be able to be organized, but I guess we'll see. Um, but uh, that aside, it seems like right now the only big avenue for legitimacy and for propagandizing uh, is either A, you run for office, uh, and Bernie Sanders has done phenomenal work radicalizing people, you know, in his own respect, um, and uh, uh, or B, alternatively, uh, you just do it through uh, highly decentralized, like uh, like like the internet, you know? Uh, like you do this stuff through 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 YouTube or Twitch or through any of the you know uh, um, through any of the astroturfed online P 
people like Ben Shapiro, for example. And it seems like those are really the only two mechanisms people have for, for, for getting people to change their political views anymore. Because the unions are dead. People don't have workplace conversations about politics anymore, you know? If you're, if, you're, if you're working at an office and you make eye contact with another coworker for more than three seconds, a boss comes by and tells you to get back to work. There's no avenue for people to connect with each other there. So we're limited massively, and it's, it's, it's stifling, you know? It's almost like it's by design. Yeah, it's, it's almost as though, get me if you can, there is a separate group of people with a separate set of interests who have a lot of control, who are, as a matter of fact, uh, 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 try, trying to keep us from talking about our wages and, you know, um, well, yeah. not yeah. our, including me as a, a part of the privileged YouTube bourgeois. I am a, a class trader, of course, but the, you know, the average worker, uh, obviously. Well, I, I, you know, and actually in, in many uh, workplaces, uh, I remember this from, um, my, the contract I signed, I believe when I was, uh, working in, in TV news, um, you know, you're not really even supposed to talk about uh, someone else's wages, like, you know, or mention your own wages. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, and even if, even if not, it, it's sort of a, a taboo. Um, you know, you don't talk about what other people make, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a benefit uh, of, of that uh, to the capitalist class. Um, you know, that's actually one of the reasons why I got in this race in the first place, uh, which is that, uh, here in uh, Indiana's 29th district um, and Hamilton County uh, generally, it's the most expensive county to live in uh, in the state. Uh, and, you know, I talked to uh, even, you know, some some Democrats who are, uh, you know, better off uh, here uh, economically in the state. And they're like, they, they act like there's not a big deal with that. Like, why would you, why would you, number one, I, you know, I've had people say, why would you want to live anywhere else in Indiana? Which is a ridiculous statement. Um, I've, I've been all over the state. There's a lot of fine places to live here uh, in the state, um, but Hamilton County is expensive because it's a white flight area, uh, and you know the, the the people in Indianapolis and elsewhere who, who first settled here, uh, or you know settled here and, and grew the grew it to, to what it is now. Um, did so explicitly because they were escaping Indianapolis because there were too many black people there. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the housing prices here are ridiculous. Uh, the, the cost of living here is ridiculous. Um, and most regular people struggle to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I struggle to do it, um, you know, uh, being a, a working class person myself. So, it, you know, it's it's tough, and uh, you know, I I spent some time um, with uh, one of the the women who uh, goes to my church runs a uh, a group called Prevail. Uh, they uh, help with uh, women uh, and men and children who are in domestic violence situations, and this is one of the ways that I try to to open people's eyes about the idea of. Um, uh, the cost of living, the problems with such a high cost of living, because uh, they don't think about this per se unless they're in the situation. But, uh, you know, a woman who uh, is being abused by her husband or boyfriend, um, wh whatever that relationship happens to be, um, is obviously less likely to leave that relationship if she is completely dependent upon that man for 
uh, living in, in in the the place where they're living. Um, and if a if, if a you know single woman uh, can't survive and take care of her children without having the the male breadwinner at home, um, it, it becomes this very deadly potentially situation for her uh, to to leave or to stay. Uh, and so you're caught between uh, a rock and a hard place. Uh, and you know it's a very similar situation right now uh, in uh, for for many of us because of COVID. Uh, folks are out of work. Uh, unemployment uh, enhanced benefits are have gone away, uh, and so folks are already struggling. Uh, and they get kicked uh, while they're down by a pandemic that we're not properly dealing with. And they're told that they have to go back to work as soon as possible in order to get the economy moving again. Uh, and they want to go back to work because they're behind on their rent, they're behind on their utility payments, uh, and the uh, eviction moratorium is gone. And so instead of changing the way that our economy works, the way that our society works, uh, we, we try to change the way that we're dealing with a disease. Uh, so that we're not, we're not listening to scientists who are telling us we need to deal with this disease in this way, because dealing with it in that way would tank our economy because our economy is structured around exploitation. So you I know, think it, I mean I think it's pretty situation. I think it's pretty clear at this point that we have committed to having absolutely no plan for COVID. Um, I think like I'm pr I'm pretty sure that at this point we we have completely. We've it's been what six months. We've gotten twelve hundred dollars. You know we have we are absolutely committed to doing nothing about this. Um, and I I guess in that respect I, I I respect the Trump administration's commitment to the politics of sociopathy. You know, uh, no no wiffle waffling there. Uh, twelve hundred just enough. Got to get he got his name on the checks. Sent them out. Uh, that probably moves some people right because uh, people are very impressionable in times of crisis. And uh, and yeah, that's all that's all he had to do. And now he just keeps his hand off the situation with regards to the um the um the 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 abuse angle i i agree um and it's something that um uh, uh that's always bothered me because i know people who have been in the situation who sure uh, with because having like a, a a household situation where the man makes significantly more money or all the money uh is essentially the economic equivalent of a one household vote or like a one vote per household situation where you're we're like in a in a completely neutral you know apolitical uh, 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 vacuum. Sure, it's one vote per household, and sure the money goes to the household. But in reality, what this invariably does is is permit the exploitation of women, just in in, in terms of its its practical consequence. Um, well, the same thing happens uh, in in workplaces though as well, and this is the 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 basis uh, in large part. Uh, of uh, what's been uncovered and, and you know, really was an open secret for everyone uh, with the Me Too movement, uh, which is that uh, the, the, the reason why men are able to get away with this for so long is because they hold the economic power. They hold that political power because they hold economic power. They hold uh, all the power at the workplace. And so they're able to uh, you know, leverage that power in order to get control over women uh, sexually or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, with regards to COVID-19, what, what about you? Do you think that 
do you think America is going to keep stumbling uh, forward? Waves of people die. We go back to work. We come back from work. Do you think we're just going to ride out the wave until invariably uh, either it gets burnt through or, you know, uh, we get a vaccine? Or do you think that inevitably we're going to have to do something about it? Well, I thought inevitably we were going to have to re-up the, the benefits, but apparently as long as you are insulated from that as a rich person in Congress, you don't feel like you have to deal with it. September 8th, uh, I, they're reconvening, yeah, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I went down, um, actually, so uh, this is the two times now, um, I went physically to uh, the home of my congresswoman, Susan Brooks, who is retiring. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, as part of the people stimulus demands uh, and presented the same demands uh, to one of my two senators, uh, Mike Braun, uh, who uh, when I was uh, working for the Indiana Democratic Party, I, I had the privilege of being the tracker for Mike and I followed him around. Um, I, I mentioned to him on Twitter uh, that I would do so for free because uh, he thinks that we need to uh, take a little bit of risk. Uh, and send our kids back into schools uh, in, in, you know, in uh, during the midst of a pandemic. Uh, and I have two kids, uh, and you know that that uh, that hit home for me. Uh, and uh, you know, even if I didn't, it, it should hit home for anyone uh, to uh, sacrifice our kids at, at the altar of this. I think that in answer to your question, the the problem is that the the political will to to do anything. Uh, is really confined to people like us who, unless we band together by the millions, don't actually have power. Um, so, uh, you know, I, th I think that that's what it, it's going to take is massive demonstrations of that, of that organizing and of that power in order to get something to happen. Uh, you know, and we've, we've seen this growing uh, because of the material conditions. Uh, folks have been out protesting, um, not just obviously uh, because of, uh, of Black Lives Matter. That's that's incredibly important and inextricably linked, uh, because obviously you know uh, people uh, of color are dying disproportionately uh, in this pandemic. Um, but you know people are up in arms over the economic impact as well. Uh, you just wouldn't know it to uh, you know hear uh, most Congress people talk. Uh, or to hear most of the talking heads on the mainstream media uh, speaking about this issue. Uh, so I, I think, unfortunately, um, in, until and unless we see uh, more massive uh, demonstrations uh, by folks at the bottom who, who really are being affected by this, until it gets bad enough where, say, we, we, we have that, uh, mass, that eviction crisis that potential eviction crisis turns into an actual uh, eviction uh, wave, uh, and people get put out on the street, and therefore have the the um, the willingness uh, and the desire to go out and uh, petition the government for a redress of that grievance uh, by the millions. Uh, until that happens, uh, I, I think there isn't going to be the political will to do anything about it because in order to do anything about it, you're going to have to take money from people who have money. Yeah. And the people who have money don't want to give up that money. And the less money that we have, the less grassroots organizing is viable. 
Uh, right. And, and, you know, it goes beyond this, which is that they've not only not done anything for the people, they have actively hurt the people and actively used this pandemic situation in order to consolidate their power. Uh, there's been a consolidation uh, among uh, large businesses that are already doing well, buying up the small businesses that are doing so poorly because they have no customers. Yeah. The, I mean, the only way, like you said earlier, and this is because this is always like the nuclear option we have. A general strike is the only there's there is absolutely no change in the state of affairs, save for the total optimization of the economy, which we're nowhere near, uh, where a general strike does not bring the country to its knees near immediately. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a more total version of the, the shutdown that everyone is freaking out over. Um and uh, I, what I'm hoping, and this is the reason why I guess I, I hope for a Biden presidency, not so much for the harm reduction elements of it, because I'm sure he'll be, you know, less racist, or maybe there will be like less Nazis on the on the the campaign staff. What I'm really hoping is that when Biden fails, and he will fail, there's no way he's going to really address the problems in this country. What I'm hoping is there are loud voices who are able to pull all these disaffected liberals over, because unfortunately, and you said it. We kind of need those disaffected liberals right now. I'm pretty sure if we took every single anti-capitalist in this country and fit them all together, we could probably fit, you know, um, in a convention hall, maybe a couple of convention halls. Uh, and then you have, of course, like social Democrats would be a much, much larger block, like, you know, a Nordic model or like social democracy inspired by Bernie Sanders types. And then you have like the liberals, the tens of millions of them. And I genuinely hope because I don't know if we can wait for a present for, for November 3rd for us to begin moving again, that uh, the lack of proper government response to the COVID-19 crisis, that the upcoming eviction crisis, that the people who are evicted, the people who past a certain point will have literally nothing to lose, that these people will recognize that they are not an entirely distinct movement to the BLM movement, that there are very strong shared elements of, of common economic crisis there, and that in that respect, both of them will be pulled leftward. A class element will be introduced to the BLM movement more than it already has, and the BLM movement will be um, sort of a, a, a reciprocal guide towards a more radical set of policies, at least for some liberals, not all of them, but even a fraction of a fraction of the total libs who support BLM would be a huge bolster to the socialist movement in this country? Well, you know, I think this is always the problem is that um, in, in order for there to be mass movements like this, you, you tend to have to have things go really wrong for a while. Um, and so um, in, in this way, it's not like um, COVID uh, created the problems, it just exacerbated the problem that already existed uh, and made it more uh, readily visible to people who it wasn't readily visible to. Uh, and so when you have more people uh, who are uh, struggling, uh, you have more opportunity uh, for people to become radicalized uh, by, by the material conditions that are on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the problem that I see with the potential for a, a Biden presidency is that the, the, the same people that we need to become radicalized uh, can potentially go to sleep. 
um, and just like they did uh, in, in the Obama administration, and just like these uh, folks out protesting, you know, protesting uh, with signs that say, you know, uh, I would rather be at brunch, or if Hillary were elected, I'd be at brunch. Uh, this is the the problem: uh, is that um, the 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 liberal uh, professional class doesn't really care about these issues because it doesn't affect them personally. Uh, and so they they pay lip service to it. And if there is a liberal in power, then they'll just assume, well, all these problems are going to get taken care of uh, by Joe Biden. And they won't. They won't be taken care of. Uh, the, the material conditions on the ground will not be taken care of. The same conditions that brought us Trump will continue. And what will we have to stand against that in 2024? Kamala Harris? I don't know. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, you don't think, I'm uh, not... you don't think Kamala Harris is going to arrest income inequality. <laughs> um, you know, she knows a predator when she sees one, but apparently she's okay with being the VP for one. I, I, I don't, I don't know what that's about, but, uh, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I think one, one of the things that I, I said very recently, and I, I'm not, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. We don't necessarily talk about that. I know that you've, You've had your experience. Um, I'm a pretty uh, active with, advocate for voting for him. Yeah, it's, with, it's, I, I know. I know you are. Um, so uh, I'm. I'm not voting for him. Uh, but you know, I, I will say I understand the reasons behind folks that 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 are um, the the thing that 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 I want to focus on right now is that um, I don't want Joe Biden to fail. Uh, you know, I I want to see Donald Trump out of office. Um, I want Joe Biden to become more humane uh, and, uh, you know, it, for his policies uh, to be more likely to defeat not just Donald Trump, but Trumpism. Uh, and th his steadfast refusal to do so not only endangers the ability for his campaign to succeed in November, uh, and we've seen an erosion of, of the uh, the polls uh, in his favor. Um, but it also, again, uh, makes it much more likely that he will fail. And the next Trump who comes along uh, could very well be a lot uh, more politically savvy than the Trump that we have right now. Uh, that's, and the, that's the logic that I used to follow. I think my main issue with that is that um, right now, or in this in this past presidential election, 2020, Bernie Sanders' support actually dropped uh, between here and 2016. If you take a look at like the total proportions of votes that went to him versus, and I think the reason for that is because liberals are so stupefied by the presence of a Trump presidency uh, that they're willing to attribute the problems with the system to him rather than to the system broadly. We have to sure. remember Bernie Sanders rose to prominence after eight years of relatively stable Obama. Uh, and he was at his height there, whereas now it's like so like 58 percent of the people who voted for Biden in the primaries did so because Biden was the electable candidate. While I obviously disagree with that assessment, uh, it shows that fear is what's driving their movement towards moderation. Um, and that in the absence of that fear, it's possible they would be more willing to move left. I think that if liberals continue to see the problems with this country under a Republican presidency and under Trump specifically, they will think it a problem of Republicanism and of Trumpism rather than sort of something that the Democrat party is also incapable of meaningfully addressing. But I recognize of course, that if we, if we get into the, the, the heyday of a, a, a Bernie or bust argument that it will, 
probably consume the remainder of the time we have. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, honestly, my my thing about it is I I want to uh, let people uh, vote for the candidate that they that they most uh, you know uh, adhere to their the the values of that candidate. So I've got a lot of people in my district. Uh, for whom that person is Joe Biden. So by all means, if that's the person that you want to vote for, vote for him. Um, I, you know, in, in Indiana, um, unless there's some crazy shakeup uh, in, in the, the electorate uh, in, in uh, 2020, um, this will very likely be a Trump state. So my vote for Joe Biden is as effective uh, regarding the electoral college as my vote for Mickey Mouse. So when I go into the, the ballot booth, I would rather vote for a candidate that most closely resembles my values. Now, if we had a popular vote election, that would be another thing entirely. If we had, um, you know, uh, uh, something like, you know, doing away with plurality voting and I could actually vote for a candidate um, and, and, you know, score each candidate on, on my ballot or something like that, that would be a different matter entirely. Uh, even in a state where um, you know it's a, a swing state, uh, you can use something like vote pact, uh, where you find a you know a conservative uh, in your same state uh, who is in a similar boat to you. They don't like Donald Trump. They also don't like Joe Biden, but they feel like they need to vote for Donald Trump because they hate Joe Biden. They don't want to see Joe Biden win. You can tell them, hey, you know, I'm in a similar uh, situation. Uh, I, I want to vote for an independent candidate. If you also vote for an independent candidate, then we uh, have canceled the spoiler effect for our, our two voters uh, there in that situation, and we can vote for an independent candidate of our choice without a spoiler effect. The reality is the real problem of the spoiler effect is not the spoiler effect itself, which is usually negligible. The problem is the fear of the spoiler effect. Mm -hmm. And that's why neither party wants to do anything about the spoiler effect. If Nader, if Ralph Nader were really the problem in, in the year 2000, which he was not, he was not anywhere near uh, the, the real reason why Al Gore lost that race. But if Democrats actually believed that, then why wouldn't they have spent the last 20 years uh, lobbying to get rid of plurality voting? It's because plurality voting helps them. Well, Dem uh, well, Democrats don't actually give a fuck about winning. Of course, I think every Democrat secretly prays yes. for a loss so they can go so they can go back to to complaining and not doing anything. And funnily enough, for the Ralph Nader election, I'm pretty sure the Libertarians actually got a, a comparable amount of votes at that time. So if we consolidated all aligned voting. I think that only would have cemented the Republican position at that time. It, it would, it would have, and nobody ever talks about the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, uh, voters who two to one choose a Republican, and Green Party voters uh, actually aren't otherwise Democratic voters. They're generally otherwise non-voters. So you, you, uh, you know, you hold a gun to their head and they hesitate and maybe take the bullet uh, rather than picking the the Democrat or the Republican. Oh, I mean, I love, I love it when the Republicans make that mistake though, when they. Vote libertarian. I love libertarian voters. They're fantastic. I encourage. Please, if your if your issue with Trump is that he hasn't gone far enough deregulating businesses, ah, vote for your heart. 
vote Republican, yeah. make it easier for for good for Sleepy Joe to get in. Uh, but for the green voters, yeah. I have to go harder, of course, because they're I'll absolutely weaponize that. I recently saw wait, 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 very brief departure, I think. We can we can for comedic yeah. value. Um, I argue with Nazis online. Recently there was a, a Nazi guy called Mikey Nock who made his own party. I think it's called the National Justice Party or something like that. And um this guy, this guy has a lot of influence in the online neo-Nazi community. I mean, he actually has a fair amount of pull. Uh, and he did this whole 40-minute speech where he talks about the Jewification of America as, you know, destroying the white... No, no, it's like full, yeah, full Nazi stuff, you know. And I'm, I'm watching this and I think, God bless him. A couple thousand less Trump voters, you know? Uh, just, yeah, you sink as much money as you want into that campaign, okay? You can't go as far with it as you want. Um... And no doubt all of them will be arrested for some, some, something or another, domestic abuse. Well, I mean, they, they, they could do that or they could just become cops. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't. Uh, yeah. Fuck, that was going to be my other segment today, actually. The, there was an article written in The Guardian by a former FBI agent, like, yesterday, about um, the infiltration of the cops by uh, white supremacists. Um, not that they haven't been talking about that for 20 years, but, you know. Eesh. Don't encourage him. Well, I, you know, I, I no encouragement necessary. That you know, it's a self-selection kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I I have uh, obviously um, stuck my neck out uh, here in, in Indiana and been in favor of defund the police and uh, uh, been in favor of that as the first step uh, on a long road toward uh, maybe not so long road toward abolish the police. Uh, you know, I am a libertarian socialist after all. So, um, you know, I, I don't really think that the Democratic Party here knew what they were getting into when they uh, they encouraged me to run. Um, I worked for them. Uh, some of them knew how left I was, uh, but, uh, you know, not all of them did. I, you know, I think that um, my my thing here uh, in this election has always been twofold. I do think that we have a path to win, um, and you know, so you know, we need obviously more volunteers, more folks to uh, head to our website and give what they can to the cause. Um, but you know, the the goal uh, is is not just to win this election; it's to organize folks uh, for the future. Mm -hmm. And you know, so uh, I've, I've been like willing IWW to IWW membership, which we really need. You know, it's we were, I think IWW membership was like at, God, like 500 uh, 20 years ago. And now we're up to 5,000, which is still 1% of what it would need to be before it could even come close to organizing general action. But it's getting there, right? Actually, how, right. Many, how much of the IW, how large do you think the IWW would need to be before it could start to meaningfully affect policy? Or, or well, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, Honestly, tens of thousands of, of people uh, with the right mindset could could do that. Uh, you know, with uh, uh, certainly today, where you have so much distributed organizing and uh, you know people being able to do so much uh, online, um, you know, pairing it with real world action, I I think that you could, with strategic uh, people placed in the right uh, positions. Uh, I think you could do it with with tens of thousands of uh, of folks, uh, you know, uh, nationwide, uh, even. Um, but, but yeah, you know that that's again that's always been the thing is uh, you you need to organize, you need to start somewhere, uh, you need to run everywhere, even if you're going to lose, uh, because this is what happens in in states like mine and all around the country, is 
it becomes a red state because the Democrats don't run candidates. And it becomes a red state because they do that cycle after cycle, verging on generation after generation. And of course, the, the kids coming up uh, who you know are, are turning 18 and, and going out there hopefully voting uh, have never heard from a Democrat, let alone a leftist, um, you know, about why they might want to think something differently than their parents and their grandparents thought. Uh, and, uh, you know, in this state, uh, in this district, we've seen um, a, a lot of uh, movement uh, to the, the, the left or, you know, at least toward uh, Democrats uh, because of demographic shifts like that. And, uh, you know, folks my age and younger, I am a millennial. I know I have a lot of, of gray hair, but uh, that's genetic. Uh, I'm 38. Oh, okay. I am. I'm, I'm 38 years old. Um, you know, uh, so I'm about as old as you can be and be a millennial. That's fucking um, cool, though, by the way. That's like you're like an <laughs> anime character having like white well, hair. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, actually, you know, I, I always thought, you know, running for office, uh, given that I, I am a millennial and I have uh, very uh, obviously millennial uh, politics, uh, left leaning politics. Um, uh, you know, I, I've got uh, a lot of Zoomer volunteers as well that uh, are uh, much more radical than I was at their age. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the fact that I have that politics and I am that age, but the fact that I also have a lot of gray hair, I'm not going to lie about my age, but people people want to assume that I'm in my 40s or, or even, you know, early 50s or whatever, and they, they think that that confers some kind of authority on me, then, then I won't disabuse them of that notion unless they ask me what my age is. Of course is. not. I mean, I, like, I'm 26. You know, a lot of people think I'm older because, uh, because of my beard uh, and because I generally look like shit. And um, and I'll I'll never tell him off. Yeah, absolutely. Like in public or something. Oh God! I remember the first time I went back to visit my high school after graduating because after that I grew the beard and the, uh, my hair out, you know, and my chest hair went up to my neckline. And uh, I go in there and uh, they asked me uh, 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 which of them was my kid. And uh, like, okay, I'll accept the authority you're granting me here. Um, and of course, I did steal one of the children. You know, obviously, <laughs> as um, you do, as one does. Uh, the um. Yeah, the kids are the kids are getting really radical these days. I actually have a really young audience, um, which I'm proud of. I like that. Um, uh, there are a lot of people in my chat. Like sometimes we'll do age polls, and of course these are never accurate. But there sure. seem to be a lot of under 18s who watch, and these are like 16 year olds who are quoting like you know Luxembourg or something. And it's 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 wild uh, because I I feel like in 30 or 40 years this country is going to be like 60 percent boomer moderates. And on both sides, it's going to be like 2020 neo-Nazi 15-year-olds and anarcho-syndicalist 15-year-olds. And they're just going to be yeah. warring over the center. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We're getting, we're getting, the internet has really opened up the door for political radicalization. Well, and, and you know, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, both for good and for ill. But uh, at the same time, you know, I, uh, some of my, uh, you know, uh, most strident volunteers have been uh kids that don't are, are not going to even be able to vote for me uh in november you know I've, I've got uh you know 17 year olds uh super interested in our campaign um and again these are folks that haven't been activated by campaigns before i've had kids come up to me and and been like I, you know i can't believe that you're running uh as a as a democrat in in, in this state and, and you're speaking in this way you're you're a socialist you're 
you know, um, I mean, I, I am uh, a libertarian socialist. I call myself a libertarian socialist. Uh, sh I'm actually an anarchist. Um, but you know, again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't come right out and say that to, to certain folks. But um, you know, I believe in in direct democracy. I believe in moving in that that more egalitarian way. Um, and so they're they're activated by that because that's their politics, and they don't find many candidates who are espousing that. Uh, certainly uh, not in Indiana, for sure. So. You know, I, I'm I'm proud of that. I'm I'm proud of that that politics. And uh, you know, I didn't start there. Uh, you know, I uh, when I was growing up, um, I was a left leaning, vote blue, no matter who kind of Democrat, like my dad is. Uh, and you know, he uh, regularly watches MSNBC. I, I respect the hell out of my dad. Uh, he's he's done a lot uh, for me, obviously, and you know, uh, a lot. Uh, in in the the political work that he's done uh, in his lifetime, uh, but you know my first vote for president was for Ralph Nader. Uh, I, I lived in Kentucky at the time, uh, and uh, you know again I I felt uh, moved by the Nader campaign. I was 18 years old. Uh, I tell my dad after the election I voted for Ralph Nader. He's not super happy about that, um, and, and as as many Democrats were not. Um, and so I felt kind of uh, cowed by that. Uh, you know, at 18, I didn't really have the uh, the intellectual wherewithal to push back against my father, uh, who I still respect to this day. Again, um, uh, and you know, I'd read a little Marx um, in in high school. I uh, we were forced to read uh, um, Ayn Rand's little novella uh, Anthem, which I think is like a Cliff Notes version of uh, Atlas shrugged, uh, mm -hmm. and I thought it was Good. stupid. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I picked up the communist manifesto and I, um, I read that I read a little, uh, a bit of, uh, Das Kapital. Um, and I'm 18 years old and I think I know something. And so, uh, you know, I go off and I vote for Ralph Nader, hoping maybe he'll get 5%. And then what happened happened. Uh, and I got, I got sort of, Browbeaten into staying within the Democratic fold, and so I, I didn't. I wanted the party to move left. I didn't know how to do that. I just voted for whatever the best candidate I could find in a primary, and, and then the, just knuckled the, up the and then the dog cage match thing happened. It just and yeah. then that happened. And that happened first. Keep going and go. Yeah, and that happened first, and you know that was a problem. And then Bernie Sanders came along and sort of woke me up from a long fifteen-year slumber. And at this point. You know, I just I can't I can't turn back. I can't go back to the point before Bernie Sanders came along. And he, oh, no. No. Uh, people talk about how Bernie Sanders is not a socialist, whatever. OK, you know, whatever you want to say about him, he's a social Democrat, whatever. Um, a, a social Democrat radicalized millions of people, myself included. I started off one way in 2015 and I ended 2016 as a Democratic Socialist. And, you know, now uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm on this other path of, uh, you know, I'm, I've gone from left-leaning Dem to Democratic Socialist to Libertarian Socialist, uh, and I'm running for office because this guy ran as a Democrat. And I think, uh, I, I think it's, it's also um, a, a real testament to the frailty of the system. 
that in spite of America being, I'm going to use a very academic term here, cucked when it comes to workers' rights. I mean, thoroughly, thoroughly cucked. Like this of the of the bourgeois democracies, we truly have the bougiest. You know, the 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 Overton window is incredibly narrow in this country, or it was. And the fact that in spite of all of that, in spite of a half century of Red Scare McCarthyist bullshit stamping down anything even remotely resembling leftism in this country, the assassination of Black Panther Party leaders, everything, in spite of all of that, that Bernie Sanders can still come within a spitting distance of the pre presidency from, from, from the position of an independent initially is insane. Right. And I think that right. speaks a lot. I mean, it really is, you know, you can stomp the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. I think it really does speak to the tenacity of the movement, that it, it emerges, you know, as long as capitalism exists, so too will socialism, like its shadow. You can't actually stomp it out. It's not possible. It will always rear its head. Um, yeah, because the capitalists uh, can't solve the contradiction in their own system, nope. uh, you know, which is that as you accumulate more and more wealth at the top, uh, more and more people at the bottom start wondering why. Uh, and so, you know, you get enough of those people wondering why in a militant way, and you're going to end the system. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, of the opinion that it's inevitable. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it takes work. But, you know, we, we see this uh, in, in my generation, and we see it in younger generations who have grown up in nothing but endless war and uh, economic collapse after economic collapse. They see the system for what it is, uh, and they want it to change radically. Yeah. We just have to make sure they go in the right direction, because there are a lot we of do. people who talk about endless war who then end up going far right, because they think it's all being orchestrated by the Jews or whatever. I right. see a lot of those people online, actually. Right. So, you know, that this is where we need um, inclusive economic populism uh and the word for that is socialism mm -hmm. yeah. uh you know we, we don't need uh economic nationalism uh and we certainly don't need any kind of fusion between the two the the strosserous nozbles uh sorry not not a thing not a not a, a good thing to be uh, going down that path uh we need inclusive internationalist uh you know intersectional uh, economic populism uh, a la socialism. That's yeah. what we need. There's, I, I, there is um, a growing number of people who seem to be of the opinion that we could have socialism if we would just drop the identity politics, if we would just stop talking about black people, stop talking about women, stop talking about trans people. And I have, it is the biggest load of horseshit in my life that I have ever heard in my life. Anyone who is willing to fight tooth and nail to secure their workers' rights is not going to abate because they are being informed that they will also be helping the black people, the black worker, the trans worker, what have you. Uh, it really does seem like uh, just a way for um, uh, a prejudiced or, or anti-intersectional lefties to kind of pseudo-academically justify leaving those people out in the cold. Well, I would like an example of when this is worked anywhere because it hasn't the the, the only large-scale example uh of, of anything like um, this being tried is the strosserus and guess what look up night of the long knives they got killed they got oops. killed whoops 
Yeah, no, there's no, absolutely not. Like, what socialist movement in what country has ever succeeded? Because they're like, you know what? What if we drop the minority bit? Okay, just what? Look, we're just going to focus on the white stuff and everyone will be, everyone will rise for it. This never works. It never works. No, and, and again, again, uh, a, a large portion of, you're, you're leaving out a large portion of the working class. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by doing That's how they so, fucked so up how the are labor you gonna class solidarity if you're throwing under the bus the the people who are harmed most in in the working class, the people who are harmed intersectionally, not just because of their class, but because of their race or because of their their gender identity uh, or, or or because of of their sexual orientation. Uh, this is just not a thing that you can we do. We lost and, battles and back in the day because of this. Because a lot right. of the union leaders back in the 1900-whatevers were racist. Because sure. of course, you know, because a lot of them were. And uh, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow black people into their union. So when they wanted to strike, all the black people were like, hey, fuck, I'm not risking my employment for you. I'm not even in your fucking union. You're not getting me shit. And they continued working. Right. The, the strike failed. Historically, this just every time, this just doesn't work. Uh, so yeah, worker, worker solidarity across the line. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, oh, uh, 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 we've hit the hour mark. Um, I really appreciate you coming to speak with me. It's actually been a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate you having me, Bausch. Um, you know, like I said, uh, this is the first major interview that, that we've done. Um, so, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, would love to hear from, uh, you know, more folks in your audience. Uh, folks can go again to uh, www.votevic2020. Uh, that's uh, V-O-T-E, V as in Victor, I-C-K, 2020.com. Uh, and uh, find links to all of our social media. We are on Twitter at VoteVic2020. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, we are on Twitch as well, although uh, hey. uh, we, we, haven't, we haven't done much of that yet. Uh, I didn't want to be the old man on Facebook who doesn't know what he's doing there. Um, so, uh, you know, I had one of our uh, young Zoomer volunteers uh, clue me into that. We're going to be uh, speaking uh, soon um, with uh, the, the good folks at the Surfs uh, on Twitch. Uh, oh, that's so, fantastic. Uh, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm friends with Lance. Yeah, well, Lance is great. I actually, again, because I wasn't on Twitch in real life and in, in, in my, you know, outside of this campaign, um, I had I'd never even heard of the Surfs, uh, and the show is fantastic. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But again, folks, uh, head to the website. Uh, we have a thing going on right now uh, where if we can raise uh, five hundred dollars. We get $500 matching funds from the state party. So, um, you know, we would love to see folks come on board at any level uh, to donate to our campaign. We have an Act Blue obviously set up there. Uh, so come on board, give what you can, um, and we can uh, put that uh, to good use. We've got a, uh, a local progressive filmmaker uh, who's willing to uh, do a loss leader video at much lower cost than he'd be willing uh, to do uh, professional uh, you know, video for us. He's an award-winning documentarian. Uh, we would love to have him on board, but it's, it's going to cost money to do that. So we need that video spot, and we need to do uh, more robust digital for our campaign. So uh, 500 people listening right now give us a buck we've got it you know uh, any any amount is is appreciated uh absolutely yeah guys if you're considering donating to this stream and i know you are because i know you always do uh consider throwing them over to vic as well uh by the way did you have one of your zoomer uh friends help you with discord or did you do that yourself no i did discord myself oh. but actually one of my zoomer friends 
uh, you to me because uh, he, he, I think he's a subscriber to you uh, and he was the one who contacted you uh, in, in the first place. His name is Isaiah Link. Uh, thank you, Isaiah. Uh, he was a, a big help to us uh, in getting our, our, uh, our Twitch set up. Um, I actually didn't even know when I when I set up Twitch, I did a, a video stream uh, and it disappeared. I thought it was like YouTube. It just stuck around. But uh, apparently I need to make clips or something. So I, I'm, I'm still not quite um, on, on board with how it works. But um, I, I will do more of them, I promise. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, we will be on the surfs and, and we would love to, to come back anytime you'd have us. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I hope you enjoy Twitch. It is a, uh, a, a very fun platform, I think, if used properly. Um, if only I could spend more time there. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Of course, when we post the video, we'll put all the links in the description so everything will be nicely organized. And uh, once again, uh, thank you very, very much for coming on. I wish you the best of luck in your, um, in your upcoming primary. Or not primary, sorry, in the upcoming election. And I hope it goes well for you. Yeah, and, and again, um, you know, I, I am the nominee, so uh, folks are donating to someone uh, who can be elected in November. Uh, yeah, I, you're up against just, the uh, the incumbent Republican. Uh, I am, absolutely. The, the, so The guy who wore, the guy, ah, the businessman. Uh, <laughs> so the age-old <laughs> battle continues. He throws a lot of money around in the district, but he hasn't done a lot for the district. Uh, we will, uh, and we can win, uh, so come on board our campaign. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Josh. Godspeed, man. Have a good one. You too.